0: in our lives transforms uh, our experience in this life. And Lord, we need you. Every hour we need you for so many different things. And Lord, while we're gathered here today, we recognize we need you to speak to us, to open our minds and our hearts to scripture so that, Lord, the voice of God can be powerful and transformative in us. So we would pray in our need, recognizing it. And we would ask you, uh, Lord Jesus, to speak now and to to bring us life, to bring us into a deeper sense of what it means to follow you, to understand more fully what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to walk in his way. So, Lord, bless us now. Bless us with your truth. Bless us with your voice. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, a week ago, we began a series um, on work. Uh, And, uh, you know, a series which I think everybody can benefit from in a very, very significant way. Um, And the basic question uh, became, how can I connect my faith with my work? How can I connect what I do from Monday through Friday, if not more, with the reality of God? How can I bring God into it? How can my work become a spiritual thing as opposed to something other than that? Last week, we, we gave the foundational answer to that. We went to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, and, and we learned there that as, you know, as, as the world was being formed, it says the Spirit of God hovered over the, that which was formless and empty, and God began to create, and he began to bring form to the world, as, even as we know it now. And he formed uh, the, uh, you know, all, everything that exists. And then he made Adam and Eve, and he said, come join me to continue to form this dynamic. Think of that word continue to participate with me, co-laborers with God, in order to create something that God intended for the world, and we applied that to our circumstance, and we came to the conclusion, the biblical conclusion, that what every person does who follows Jesus, what they are doing as, as they work Monday to Friday is helping God form the reality of the society we're in. Because God has a will, and God has a wish, and God has a way. And someday, uh, you know, as, as we continue to pursue the things of God is the people of God in this world. This world will change. You know, the big story, you know, the God story starts way back in creation. And when sin came, it sort of messed a lot of things up, you know. Sin came and it changed our hearts uh, and our minds. We didn't see things the way that we should see things, biblical truth. We didn't have a desire for God or an easy capacity to love. And all those dynamics started to kick into gear. And then, you know, all the difficulty came into creation so that there was famine and there was war and there was violence and... And on and on it goes. Things fell from what God had intended, from what God had created. And then God got busy. Adam and Sarah produced a child which in, who in turn produced children, and a nation was formed, the nation of Israel. God revealed himself through that people, and out of that nation came the person of Jesus Christ, who came the living Son of God and died on a cross, so that you and I and millions of other people could, could, could know the reality of faith, and we could be reconciled to God, we could have our sin forgiven, right? And the church would be created, a group of people, massive group of people, our church included, our congregation included, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to go into the world and make the world what God intended it to be in the first place. And God will continue that journey through us and successive generations of churches until the day Jesus Christ returned, and sin will be no more, and death will be no more, and there will be no more suffering, And no more crying and no more pain. It's an incredible hope that we have. And and evil will be put away. It will be destroyed. And there will be no more sin. And the world will again be what God created the world to be. You should all applaud now. You know, almost you should. Because this is a big dream that we are a part of. And you know, so we do evangelism so people can get drawn into the family of God and drawn into the church and drawn into the mission of God in the world. But you know... That's not the only thing the church does. The church goes to work. On Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and we talked last week, and this is often a lost belief and understanding, when the church goes to work, they have the power, we have the power to be transformative in the world so that the world can be formed in all of our occupations. It doesn't matter what it is. And God's will can be done, right? And the world can become what God intends the world to be just a little bit more because of you and your job and your calling day by day by day. Powerful, I hope, to you. Very significant. You know, i got to tell you, I've had, uh, I, I don't know what to call it other than interesting responses to, to the um, uh, sermon, sermon last week. Um, I had a bunch of retired people either email, email me or come to me. I felt like the quarterback with the linebackers just blitzing me. Whoosh! You know, I felt like, I didn't feel like I'd be knocked to the ground, but, you know, I, and, and, you know, they're basically saying, "But well, what relevance does this have to my life? I'm retired. I don't work anymore. Well, I want to tell you, this has absolutely no relevance to your life if, people are laughing, if this is your circumstance, that you understand that retirement means that you are now free from work to live in a way that's completely self-satisfying, to live your life in such a fashion that your needs are met and you have given up contributing to the world and to the will of God. Now, if you want to go there, everything that I'm talking about has no relevance to your life. But I want to tell you, that's not the biblical way. Because as people, by the way, say, here our men's ministry, in fact, has discussed this lots. There's no retirement in the Bible. Interesting thought, right? But listen, contrary to what I've just described... If you get this in your head that God has blessed you with time that you didn't have before, God has blessed you with energy, hopefully for a good couple of decades or whatever it might be, God has blessed you with resources, he has provided this circumstance in which you can continue to form the world the way God wants it to be formed in a way that is clear and purposeful, then, my friends, this teaching has huge impact for your life. Bottom line, you can work full time for God now. Not that you didn't before, <laughs> but you can do it in the way that you want, and that's kind of cool. You, you know, people think, oh, if I'm going to be full-time for God, I've got to be a pastor or something. No, the whole point in this whole series is whether you're working or whether you're retired and you're giving yourself purposefully to, to, to accomplish the will of God in this world, you are working full-time for him. Every single one of you, live your retirement life to build the kingdom of God. Oh, I like that. Amen, yeah, let's, I mean, more applause, more applause. I mean, <laughs> not because I'm wonderful, because that, that counts. And I love the fact that we're a multi-generational church. We really are. You know, if we wanted just to reach young people, the music would be like three times as loud and be very differently presented. I got to tell you, we do this kind of cultural relevance thing, and I am very proud. We have a lot of young families and a lot of retired people in our church. Isn't that the way the church ought to be? So there you go, retired folks. The quarterback is spoken, I guess, huh? Here's another one. I didn't plan on saying that, but anyway. Here's another one, stay-at-home moms. What does this have to do with me? I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm you know, doing various things. Here, number one, if that is your circumstance, you are a blessed woman. Because not that many people are in that circumstance. Not that many people can do it. And everybody else, they're working, right? But if you're a stay-at-home mom, number one, know that you're blessed. Number two, I want to tell you the message that I just spoke to the retired people is the same message I want to speak to you. You know, the question becomes, what is your work? What is your work? You know, how will God use you in this season of life for however long it lasts? How will he use you to form this world in the way that he wants? and this society in the way that he wants it to be formed. What input can you have considering your circumstances to make a difference in this world so the kingdom comes in power? I want to tell you, it's a unique and distinct and a beautiful thing. For lots of people, stay-at-home moms are there while they're raising their children. Man, what an incredibly important task God gives if that's the way you choose to to do it. Time with them and to build into their lives and to raise them up to be people who live uh, good lives for the Lord Jesus and so forth. And then beyond that, whatever the circumstance is, again, you know, it depends on the person, it depends on the circumstance, it depends on the giftedness, but you know what? <laughs> your work is full-time for God, just like all everybody's work is full-time for God, you know? Whether it's a, 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 a young person in high school or university, what is your work? Well, you're learning, but you know, you're forming society for God where you are, where he places you to be. I could go on and on and on. The message is the same for all of us depending on our circumstance. Anyway, I want to take a step further today. That's not even the beginning of the sermon. That's just concluding last week's and the blitz. Anyway, I want to take a step further into this question about how do you bring spirituality into the workplace? We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, some verses from there. Uh, This is an interesting passage. It's, It's really Paul, Apostle Paul, in an inspired way, giving instruction to slaves and their masters. Um, Now, we don't have that reality anymore, thank God. But these verses do provide principles which can be directly applied to the the reality of the employee and employer circumstance. And we're going to look at at some of this today and and then more next week as I'll share with you. But the dynamic is is this, that that, um, these slaves uh, that, that Paul is speaking to in the first part of the paragraph, they are followers of Jesus. And 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 Paul seeks to instruct them about how to follow Christ faithfully, Um, but their circumstance wasn't an easy circumstance. In this culture, they were owned by their masters, and they were often treated badly. That's almost a given, you know, when this when this dynamic plays itself out. Uh, They could be beaten uh, for not working hard enough or for working badly, and they were. In many instances, masters had the right to sell the slaves. They thought nothing of selling off a husband from a wife or a wife from a husband if it was profitable and the right business decision if you would. They could sell off children when they were old enough and had some value. Um, this was tough stuff. What, what does a follower of Jesus do in that circumstance? You know, and, and then their tasks, I mean, be thankful you are not now a slave in that circumstance. Their tasks were menial, they were the unpleasant things that nobody else wanted to do. Uh, I've reflected, and you might know John 13, when Jesus chose to wash the disciples' feet. The disciples didn't want to do the foot washing, which was common in the culture. It was a cultural practice. Um, But they rejected the opportunity because the uh, the opportunity was there because there were no slaves present to do the work. It's like, who wants to wash smelly, dirty feet? And they said no. But that was a slave's task. Of course, Jesus took it up and showed us how to serve one another. The reality is their life was difficult. Very literally, it was forced labor. Uh, There was no freedom. I mean, they couldn't walk away from their circumstance. They were compelled to do what they wouldn't have chosen to do if they had the choice. And Paul writes Ephesians 6, 5 to 8 to them. And I want to tell you, he provides them with a radical reorientation to, if you would, their understanding of work. We're going to dig in today, and I'll read those verses to you now. Ephesians 6, 5 and following. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. You think that was a different thought? I'm talking about radical reorientation of thinking. And if it applied to them, guess who's going to apply to next? Us. With respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them, the masters, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. That's a powerful line. Basic instruction in this text, that just emerges out of the text, is this. In doing what you do, slaves, um, No longer uh, think that you are working for your owner first and foremost. He or she is not the one that you are working for ultimately. Instead, think uh, of your work as a means of serving Christ, that you are doing what you do first and foremost for Jesus. Um, Remarkable. Remarkable in this context. Let me read read verse 6 to you again. It says this. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of who? Christ. Doing the will of God from your heart. And then verse 7. Just to punch this stuff home. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. So all of a sudden something very different is being presented to these slaves. They're being challenged with this idea that will dramatically change what they do and why they do it. Now, if you apply this teaching to our work, I want to tell you, huge implications start to emerge. Uh, Remember, from last week, 47% of Canadians in one survey that's representative of others, 47% of Canadians do not like their work. Um, They probably would leave their work, I'm assuming, if they could. They don't like what they're doing. (laughs) Probably all of us, to some degree, have elements of our work if we're not in that group that, that we don't like. So for some of us here, you know, the idea is that you know, work literally could feel like forced labor. It's something that we have to do as opposed to something we want to do. It could be perceived as a burden to be endured and, and, and something that we would escape if we could. Sometimes our work is not fun. In a similar fashion, another way in, work, in which work can be difficult and even miserable is the reality of our boss. Don't put up your hand, but who's ever had a lousy boss? who's made life miserable uh, I talked to somebody just this week uh, who said you know they've just retired and the basic comment was my boss was a bully and I am so glad they get away from that circumstance using authority over dominating controlling in a negative way bosses could bring great blessing into people's lives or they can bring like a curse into people's lives and I'm beginning to move toward next week we'll get there But sometimes that's the reality of our work as well, isn't it? And the result is that we live in a workplace, it it can be in ways that are completely contrary to what Paul teaches people to do here who are followers of Jesus. You know, sometimes slaves, sometimes we don't respect our bosses. Sometimes we work only as much as we have to and only when their eye is upon us. You know, sometimes because of the circumstance in which we live, we give half-hearted attempts at our work, you know, and we go only to work because of something we get out of it, the paycheck, and and there's nothing more to it than that. But into that kind of work scenario, Paul brings the truth of God, and he brings the reality of God into our work experience, which can dramatically change the way we work, and, and, and brings the dynamic of spirituality into our work experience, no matter what, again, the circumstance, When he basically tells us, what you do at work, don't do it for your boss. Do it for Jesus. Serve him. That's why you're there. That's what you're about. It's not, you know, it's not for your boss. It it doesn't matter how he or she acts and treats you. That doesn't matter the nature of your work and what you have to do, whether you like it or dislike it. Do what you do to please Jesus. Do it to honor him. Do it to serve him with all of your heart. But as slaves of Christ, my friends, recognize that as the text says in verse 6, verse six let's read that, verse 6b, actually, the second part of verse 6 again. If we can go back to that, please. It's just going to happen. There we go. I know it would, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Uh, you know, me doing this job is the will of God. I'm telling you, that was last week's sermon. Yes, it is it is a means of forming the world as a means of changing the world it is a means of blessing people and loving people that god has given to you of course it is it's a matter of serving from the heart you know um it's so different when we engage this dynamic it's almost like us saying you know this my lord this work that i give to you today i offer it to you as an act of service to you it's an expression of my faith that you are real and that you are in charge and that this is your will and I'm willing to do it. It's an expression of my love for you. Watch what I do today to bless you. I want to tell you, my friends, uh, as followers of Jesus, this is so important to hear and understand. If you're going to fall asleep at some point in this uh, half an hour that you give me, don't let it be now, okay? This is so important. As followers of Jesus, this sets us free to enjoy the work that we do as we serve Christ. Work then isn't a burden to be somehow endured. It is a privilege to serve Jesus, and it is a cause for joy. Regardless of the nature of our work, the kind of work we do, regardless of how our bosses treat us, it doesn't matter anymore because it's all about Christ. You see, it takes us from the, the, the horizontal plane. My boss treats me badly or well, or I don't like my work, or the nature of it is boring, it's not very dignified, or whatever you might think it to be. It takes us from the horizontal plane, and it moves us to the vertical plane, so that all of a sudden, this doesn't matter. What matters is this. And it doesn't matter the dynamic that we have to live in, positively or even negatively. What matters is we're serving Jesus. You go to work tomorrow morning, will you do that? Well, you recognize why you're doing what you're doing first and foremost. The other significant element that the Apostle Paul brings into this description of the spirituality of of work and of our serving Jesus boils down to why we do what we do. Take a minute. Why do you do it? Why do you do what you do? What is the motivation of your heart as you get up to work week after week after week? You see, so often the motivation in our culture for people to work is money. Bottom line, how much can I get from my job so that I can buy the things that I wanna buy, the house, the cars, the clothes, the toys? Sometimes it's, you know, I, I go to work and I don't like it and I wish I didn't have to, but I do it because it, you know, it, it allows me to put food on the table. I go to work, it allows me to have a vacation, which we all want in the middle of the winter because we're just tired of this. You know, Sometimes we think I gotta go to work to put money in the bank because that's gonna make me secure. In spite of what Jesus said, it's not something that's secure. It can disappear like that. And he says, I will be your security. I will provide for you. I will take care of you. Therefore, don't accumulate a mass of money. (laughs) Don't lay up treasure on earth. Don't love that stuff. Trust me. My friends, I want to tell you, essentially, work can become a dynamic reality where we are motivated simply for our own good and for our own benefit. You know, I'm going there to work because it's a self-focused, self-oriented endeavor in which I benefit, in spite of what I have to put up with. In this text, the reasons for change uh, for, for work are radically uh, uh, changed; they are challenged, if you would. And as I've said, it's to accomplish the will of God first and foremost. Form society. Look at Colossians three seventeen with me. Colossians uh, three, I think it's verse twenty and following, is a very similar passage to twenty two and following. Is a very similar passage to what we're looking at in Ephesians. But just prior to that, it says, "And whatever you do, you think that might include your work? Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That's what your work is. You're doing it in the name of Christ." And then look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Love this verse. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, there's that interesting little phrase again. Do it all for the glory of God. <laughs> I mean, that is a powerful reality when we, when we apply it to our work circumstance. Every day we can get up and go to work to make God look good, to enhance his reputation, to glorify him, you know, to, to, to give him this... This, this, this place in our lives. You know, Carl taught and, 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 and shared with us the dynamic a few weeks ago that glory has behind it this meaning of weightiness. That God is a weighty God. He's an awesome God. He's a majestic and powerful and beautiful God. And our work can allow us to, to, to recognize that dynamic and let others see that dynamic. Um... You see, my friends, our work is not about us and our gain as followers of Jesus. Our work is about Christ and his glory. You know, I love uh, Eric Little of Chariots of Fire fame. Um, And if you remember the movie, it's a long time ago now that that movie came out. I watched it a while ago, and it's interesting how much movies have changed. It's a very slow-paced movie. It's like, oh, get to the point, will you? It shows you how... How a society has changed. But anyway, he was an Olympic runner who refused to uh, run in his specialty, the 100 likely yard race at that time, uh, because it fell in the Lord's day. And his way of honoring Jesus was to say, in spite of this having been something that I've trained for for years and I'm expected to win and I'm, I'm likely you know, going to win, uh, he said, no, I'm going to honor Jesus first. What happened, though, was that he was entered into the 400 meter race, which was not his specialty, but he ran it and he won and he was given the gold and it was an incredible moment. Eric Little became a missionary to China and he died in a prison camp for Christ. Remarkable, remarkable man. Anyway, he said this, I'm sure with the Scottish accent that you can imagine. I could do it, but I can't bring myself to. He said this. I'm not going to. He says, you can. I was born there. I have some capacity in the act. But anyway, he said, you can praise the Lord. Hear that. You can praise the Lord by peeling a spud. And for those of you who are uninformed in the realities of Scottish culture, that means potato. You can praise the Lord by peeling a spud if you peel it to perfection. It doesn't matter what you do, whatever you do, you can bring glory to God. You can by doing what you do for him. It's like we saying, look, Lord Jesus, here's, here as I go to work, here is my worship for you, before you. This is what I'm doing for you today, to glorify you, to bless you, to honor you, to worship you. And then as part of this why obviously comes into play the whole dynamic of the how. How do you work? It grows out of the heart, I'll tell you. But let me read Colossians, this parallel passage again, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. See how incredibly similar that is to the Ephesians passage where it says work wholeheartedly for Christ? How do you work? You know, how do you work? Um... I want to tell you, the question of what's going on in your heart will make your work spiritual or not. It can be the result of your dynamic faith expressed in the workplace. No half-hearted work honors Jesus. You know, no, I want to say that again. <laughs> to me, that's powerful. If you go to work and you do a half-hearted job, your Lord is not honored by it. As a matter of fact, he may be dishonored by it. And he doesn't want that. I don't think you do either. It's a matter of how much we put ourselves in into our work for the sake of Jesus. My friends, as a result, we have to do what we do well. See, that's why Eric Little was able to say, you know, that work becomes praise when you peel a spud to perfection. Did you notice that part? You do it really well. Your Lord is honored. He is honored. Whether nobody knows it or not, nobody else knows it. It, doesn't, it, might, it might not matter. But sometimes Jesus is honored in the minds of other people when they see a Christ follower working with such commitment and passion and even excellence. Just the very nature of the how determines the spiritual dynamic. Martin Luther, the incredible reformer uh, of the German church and of the creator, if you would, along with a few others like Calvin, I have to throw his name in here because he's our guy. But you know, Martin Luther said this, the first demand of a carpenter, how could you finish that sentence? The first demand of a godly person who was a carpenter is to, he said, the first demand of a carpenter is to make good tables. I love that. <laughs> Because, you see, he's serving the Lord Jesus. He's honoring Christ in how he makes his tables. He's blessing people with the gift of good furniture. Right? And he's forming the world the way God wants it formed. You see, a minimum of work does not honor Christ. Doing a half-hearted, mediocre job does not honor the Lord Jesus. Whatever we do, we have to do it well for the glory of God. So if you're an electrician, be a good one. Put your heart into it. Be effective. Accomplish for the sake of Jesus. If you're a teacher, strive to be a great teacher. Do it well for the glory of God. If you clean houses for a living, do it for his glory by doing a good job at it. It doesn't matter what the job. It doesn't matter what the circumstance. Do it for him. For his glory. I could go on and on, but you get the point, point, don't you? Again, I want to say to you, um, it's not about your boss and how well he or she treats you. It's not about the nature of your work, whether you like it or not. Everything that we can do, everything that we can do is an expression of our living faith and our love for Christ and is a way of honoring Him. I want to read the message version for you of Ephesians 6, verse 7. I kind of like it. And work with a smile on your face. Is that you? always keeping in mind that no matter who happens to be giving the orders, you're really serving God. Like, boom. (laughs) Radical reorientation. Paradigm shift all of a sudden. Yes, you, tomorrow morning. Go do it. Serve him. Love him. Worship him with your life. By doing it in these ways. Paul also says uh, something very interesting. He says, respect and fear. Respect and fear your master who owns you. That's kind of hard for us to get our heads around a little bit, isn't it? Because we, of course, are opposed to to slavery in any form. But listen, Paul is speaking into his culture, and he's addressing Christians about how they might work, and I've drawn the parallel, and I hope you understand it. Listen, your boss might disrespect you, Right now, this might be a real dynamic in your life. You might be disrespected on a daily basis. But the Lord Jesus does not want you to disrespect him or her. It's radical. It's it's dramatically different from the world. This this instruction is akin to what Jesus said when he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You get this? You see the parallel? Don't treat people the way they treat you. You overcome evil with good. Bring glory to God. Transform the world. It doesn't matter if your boss is a curse in your life. Bless them. Love them. Respect them. That's powerful stuff. You can only do that when you're enabled by the power of God, by God's spirit dwelling in you. My goodness, what a transformative influence you can be, a shining example of the power of God to transform a life. Don't tell me God won't use that if indeed you can make it happen. And then the text says to fear them. Fear them? Am I supposed to be afraid of them? No, 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 no. Not not in that sense. It's the same as how we are to fear God. A deep reverence is what's being described here. We are to give people dignity whether they deserve it or not. That is the way of Jesus. I'm not saying it's easy because it's not at times. But that is what you and I are called to. Give them dignity honor them you know we fear god when we understand we grasp in those beautiful moments of enlightenment when the spirit of god works and we stand back does it happen when you when we're singing sometimes and you are just struck again by the beautiful nature the dynamic reality of who god is and you go wow that's the fear of god that's the awe of god only happens when we are gifted by the spirit and our eyes are open to see it man then we're drawn into worship right and praise same thing with your boss If they're a jerk, respect them and fear them. Honor them because uh, uh, of the reality of of who they are. Human being is created in the image of of God. You see how this honors Jesus when we so radically engage the world? See how this shows a different reality? Do you see how this shows the way of a kingdom that is other than what the world knows? and God will use that. And in the end, verse 8. It's cool stuff. <laughs> because if what Paul says, if you live this way in the workplace, if you do the will of God, if you work and serve Jesus through your work, if if you treat your boss in a countercultural and counterhuman way, the Lord Jesus will reward you. Who wants a reward from Jesus? too bad, because you're all going to get it if you do this. Like, you, you will stand before God one day, if you're in the, in the kingdom of God, if your heart is given over to Jesus, and your sin is being forgiven, and you're in relationship with him, so that I, as we just sang a little while ago, that we have his righteousness and his holiness. You know, if we're, if we're in the family of God, you will stand before the Lord one day in judgment. I don't know, this is new, I don't know why I'm going this way, but you know what? You will be judged based on your works, and if you do things the way the Lord calls you to do it, you will be rewarded. Rewarded. A little bit or a whole lot. That's up to you. Right? And me. But that's what, this, that's what that judgment's about. So listen to this. Listen to this. i got carried away. Verse 8. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. That's, that's moving into the next week, right? The employer and business owner and supervisor, we'll talk about that. I don't know about you, I want rewarded in eternity. I want the Lord to say, well done, good and faithful servant, because you worked the way I called you to work. Because you brought your faith to work, because you honored Jesus by serving him and not your boss. And even when you were treated badly, you loved in response. Radical! Craziness, according to some, but it is the way of Jesus. And it brings the kingdom of God and the world is transformed through this sort of living. Spiritual motivation. (laughs) What takes you to work every day? Go build up the reward tomorrow and then the day after that. And the day after that. Listen, I want to throw this in here because quite frankly, I can't find a better place to put this. This is so important. I want to talk to young people who are considering the choice of career. Motivation of the heart for work. Um... Why do a lot of people, at least in my experience, as I listen and I do, choose careers? It seems so often in this culture I hear one singular reason. You want to get into a career because it's going to bring you a lot of money. We're a materialistic culture, and it is wired into the brains of young people as they grow up, unfortunately. The more they're experienced to the Word of God, the less they'll think that way, I hope and I pray. But that's the dynamic reality today. Um... People kind of are driven toward embracing the idea of getting a good job because there's lots of money involved and it's going to be able to buy the things that, you know, I mentioned earlier. Be able to buy the house, buy the cars, buy the clothes, the toys, the vacations, you know. That's so important. Um, young people are told if you, if you get a good job with lots of money, then you can put, build up the bank account and you will be secure. And I'm going to say it again. Jesus said that is absolute nonsense, and the people of Jesus are not to buy that lie. We aren't, because money does not provide security in life, according to our Lord. He is our security. He promises to provide for us. He is the one who will take care of us, regardless of our circumstance. So my friends, my young friends, so when we choose this career path that a lot of you are sort of moving toward and trying to, to figure out, Choose not because of what I can get out of this, not because of myself and my self-benefit. Choose because of this question. How can I best be a co-laborer with God in the formation of this world? Um, How can I make this world through the exercise of all those years of living and expanding of energy? How can I form this world under the rule and reign of Christ to make the world what this world can become? You know? How can I serve people? How can I bless them? Maybe by making good tables or peeling spuds well. It doesn't matter. But the question has to be, how can I make an impact for God? How can I use my gifts and my abilities and and my aptitudes and my passions, which I hold in my heart, created by God? He's formed me this way. How can I make a difference in this world for him? I want you to get beyond thinking what you're going to do for your own sake, and I want you to think about what you can do for God's sake in a transformation of this world. And I would suggest that as you choose, whatever you do, do it for Jesus. Do it for him. Nobody else, nothing else, not even. You know, here's the deal in the end, at least of sermon number two. For some people, it's really hard to connect Sunday morning to Monday morning, if you would, because they think God is only in Sunday. God's in Sunday, right? I hope you're encountering him in worship, the word, and you know his presence, and he's convicting you and challenging you and enlightening your mind and motivating your heart. All the things that God does, when we get into his presence. I hope that's happening today. But I want to tell you, if you think God's not in Monday morning, you're wrong. It's not true. God is in Monday morning and every day of the week. God is in your work. Paul said, don't just do the work that you do when when, when your boss's eye is upon you to gain his favor. That's not the motivation. God's eye is upon you. Do it to gain his favor. Do it to give him glory. Do it to honor him with your life. Every day of your week, especially, could I say, in this context, in your work, do what you do to serve the Lord Jesus, because you love him, because you want his will accomplished in this world. Remember this, God is redeeming our world. God is at work. God is powerfully at work in our world. He is saving people, and we talked about the question of evangelism. God wants people to come to Christ. No question about that. That's huge in the mind of God. But God also wants to redeem our world. He wants to transform the way this world functions and how it operates and what it is. And he will use your work as you serve Jesus there to that end. He does it through your work. And I simply say to you, when you go to work this week, can you focus on it this week? Can you walk out of here with this handle, if you would? Every day you go to work this week, can you go there for the sake of Jesus? Can you go there to glorify God? Can you go there to do your work wholeheartedly and with a passion and to do it well? Because Jesus is your Lord and you want to serve him with your whole life. My friends, do your work for Jesus because he wants you to. Let's pray. God, we recognize that uh, so often the Bible takes our perspective and it just just turns our perspective on its head. And Lord, we need a radical reorientation of our understanding of work. We need a paradigm shift when it comes to work. We need to think incredibly differently about work in order to buy into what you you have taught us through this text. And Lord, I just want to take a minute and I want to pray for every person here today, no matter what their work is, whether they're retired or not, whether they're stay-at-home moms or not, Whatever their work is, Lord, first of all, define it for them clearly if that need be. But, God, beyond that, I pray that you will use every single person here who claims the name of Jesus and who loves him to, to serve him at work, through work, to glorify him. God, let them do their work wholeheartedly and with joy. And help them to do it effectively with excellence. So, Father, you and the Lord Jesus himself are given great glory in this world. God, use us to change the world by everything that we do. God, use us through our work to change the world, to make it what you want it to be. For as we do this, Lord, you will be glorified. You will be honored. You will be worshiped, not only in a Sunday morning, but the way we work, how we work, when we work. God, accomplish your purposes through us, we pray. In Christ's name.